Well, good morning. It's good to be with you. And like Steve said, we're in this series called Core. And uh, today we're going to be looking at love. But before we jump into that, just want to kind of recap last week in case you missed. The whole idea of Core is about working out the core of your spiritual faith. It's very similar to if you're into exercise at all or you're into the concept of exercise at all you'll know that the trend right now is working the core, kind of that part of your body from your hips to your shoulders. And all the experts say that if you strengthen that, if you work out that, it's going to do a couple things. One, it's going to reduce injuries, which is always a great thing, especially the older you get. And number two, it'll make you stronger, faster, better at whatever sport you might be playing. It's the same thing for our spiritual life. We need to work out our core. There's going to be kind of five pieces that we're going to look at. Last week, we looked at this word together. It's found in Acts chapter 2, and it's really about the church, not so much about a building, but about you and I, that together, if we will worship together and uh, study God's word together and eat together and hang out together and pray together, then what God can do through us as a church, as a group of people, as a community can create a catalytic movement that touches lives. Today we're going to look at love, and really today and next week and the following week, the next three weeks, I kind of in my head look at it as as one of those epic trilogies, kind of like uh, uh, Star Wars, right? Not the last three movies they just produced, those don't really count. I'm talking episodes four, five, and six, Star Wars, Empire Strikes Back, and The Return of the Jedi, Right? epic trilogy. That's going to be the next three weeks. So I challenged everyone last week to commit to five weeks, right? So a lot of you, you're here week two, you're on the path. And I would say to you is you cannot miss the next two weeks at all. They all go together. So there's going to be pieces today that I'm just going to kind of leave hanging and you'll have to come back next week to get the answers for. Cool? So you're like, really? I have to come back? Yes. And remember one thing I said to you, if five weeks of church in a row is a lot for you, which for some, that's cool. You're here right now. That's awesome. Treat this hour as breakfast. Get a bagel, grab a cup of coffee, and just, right, you you have to eat sometime on Sunday morning. So I'm, I'm fine with that, but you don't want to miss the next two weeks. And then the fifth week you have to come to, because by that time, right, you're already committed, right? You want to complete it, finish it. Cool? So today we're going to look at the word love, and when I started thinking about this word love, of course, I quickly went to my wife, because I'm a smart guy. And I started thinking about, you know, the first date and all that type of stuff, and we've been, uh, it'll be 14 years this November that we've been married. And uh, for some of you, that's like a long time. For some of you, that's nothing, right? You're like, 14 years, you know nothing, which is cool. I really don't know much about marriage, but I'm getting there. But uh, don't ask me the exact date. It's either November 21st or the 22nd. And the good part of that is if you ask my wife, she, we just don't remember. We're like, what is our exact? We go back and forth. So I get a free pass on the exact date of our marriage. Fellas, if your wife knows the exact date, you don't get a free pass. You must know that date. So I did what... Uh, any, any person might do when they're trying to figure out this love word and, and relationships and marriage. I went to the internet to solve my love problem, and I found a website that in five seconds 
would calculate for me the chances of Kim and I staying together. Five seconds. It wasn't one of those real complex love tests. Literally, I had to type in my name and then her name, hit the magic button, and they'd give me a percentage chance of us staying together, right? It can't go wrong. So I did that. I, I typed in my name, and I put uh, my wife's name, Kim, in there, and I hit, hit the little button, and this is what it came up with. We have a 1% chance of making it. One. And, you know, you can look at that as a bad number, but, you know, I'm kind of ha- a glass half full guy, and I kind of said, we have a chance. That's, that's great. But uh, Dr. Love wrote these words for Kim and I. Dr. Love thinks a relationship might work out between Kim and Chris, but the chance is very small. A successful relationship is possible, but you both have to work on it. Do not sit back and think that it will work out fine because it might not be working out the way you wanted it to. Spend as much time with each other as possible. And then this is my favorite part of this. Again, the chance of this relationship working out is very small. So even when you do work hard on it, it still might not work out at all. That's great. Thank you, Dr. Love. So I went from there. And I, I really wanted to understand you know, what love is and the definition of love and trying to get some clarity on this word love because all of us use love in such a vast different way, right? You can say, I love pizza, I love my dog, I love my mom, and I love my wife. And hopefully the word love is used completely different in all four of those examples, right? I hope I love my dog different than pizza, and I sure hope I love my mom more than my dog. And I hope I love my mom completely different than I love my wife, right? But we use love. So I went to the place online where you can solve all all problems, get all answers, learn everything about the world and the universe and everything that's ever occurred. I went to Wikipedia. And uh, in Wikipedia, this is the first line. Love is an emotion of strong affection and personal attachment. But this is the line that kind of caught me, because I think this is true. It says, this diversity of uses and meanings of the word love, combined with the complexity of the feelings involved, makes love unusually difficult to consistently define, even compared to other emotional states. And isn't that true? It's hard to define love. All of us in this room would define love completely differently. How we see it, how we approach it, how we act on it, the words we would use to describe love. And so today we're going to look at not our definition of love or our experiences with love or what the love doctor would say about love or even Wikipedia. We're going to go and kind of look at what God says love is because it's a core piece of who we are and who God desires us to be and to become. So there's a story in Luke chapter uh, 10 we're going to look at, and uh, it's going to be up on the screen, but I just want to challenge all of you. Man, it's great if you like bring your Bible. You don't have to. It's not one of those pressure statements, but it's always good to know what some guy on stage is reading from. Or if you have your phone, iPhones, there's a great app called YouVersion. I use it all the time. And so just a couple thoughts for you, but it's also up there. And uh, this is how the story starts. 
One day, an expert in religious law stood up to test Jesus by asking him this question. Teacher, what must I do to inherit eternal life? Now, there's a couple pieces in here that we have to kind of get our minds around to understand the, the fullness of the story. First of all is this expert, okay? Some versions of the Bible actually use the word lawyer. It, he was an expert of Jewish law, of the Old Testament, especially the first five books of, of the Old Testament called the Torah. And so he had studied underneath probably some of the smartest people in the region. He had taught countless people. People turned to him to learn, to grow, to handle life's difficult questions. So he came, and probably everyone kind of sitting around that circle looked at him and just knew that, wow, this guy's speaking, we're going to listen to him because he knows what he's talking about. And then he addresses Jesus. And he looks at Jesus, and he calls him rabbi. And rabbi is one of those, those, those terms of, of, of real respect. There's kind of three groups of people back then. The same kind of three groups probably exist today. One group of people back then literally looked at Jesus and believed that he was the son of God, the Messiah, God walking on this earth. There's that group of people. There's another group of people that didn't believe him at all. Kind of thought that he had lost it a little bit. And then this middle group of people, that they just weren't sure. But what they knew was that he was educated, that what he was sharing and talking about, that they need to listen to. And so he called him rabbi, teacher, deep respect. And then there's a word in here, test. And, and you might want to kind of lean kind of, to one direction where he was trying to trap Jesus or trick Jesus, which happened throughout the New Testament. Pharisees would try to trap Jesus into contradicting himself, but this wasn't the case. He literally was wrestling through a question, and he wanted Jesus' insight. He wanted his opinion. He wanted his knowledge because he had kind of come to one of those crossroads spiritually. And here was the question. What must I do? To inherit eternal life. And isn't that a question that everyone across all mankind for thousands of years have asked? It's one of those questions. Everyone in this room, I can say this without doubt, has asked that question. What must I do to get to heaven? If there is a heaven, maybe that's for you. Or maybe you're sure there is a heaven and you're still asking the question, what must I do? Is there this list of check boxes that if I check all those boxes, then I get a free pass into heaven? Maybe for you, how good do I need to be to get to heaven? Or maybe for you is how much can I sin and still get into heaven? How nice do I need to be? How fair do I need to be? How much of a person of integrity do I need to be to get into heaven, it's a question that we've all asked. And he's asking the same question. What must I do? So Jesus does what Jesus does so well, is he answers his question by asking a question. What does the law of Moses say? And how do you read it? See, Jesus knew that he was an expert, that he had it memorized. 
and not just memorized, he truly owned the text, the material. You see, in the Torah, which is the first five books of the Old Testament, right? In the Torah, there's 613 commandments or laws, 613. And this expert would have had all of them memorized. Impressive. And so what Jesus was saying was, okay, out of the 613, you tell me. Is it all of them? Some of them? Most of them. And out of the 613, you could break them up into two groups. Okay? There's 248 kind of positive commandments, right? And then another 365, what they called restrictions, the things you can't do. You know, if you've ever read Leviticus, uh, which if you've never opened the Bible, I would not advise you to start there uh, unless you want to go to sleep tonight, then start Leviticus. But Leviticus is filled with you know, a list of these commandments. And if you've ever spent any time in Leviticus, you'll know that, man, there's some like, like no-brainer like laws in there that you'd read and you're like, yeah, that makes sense. And then there's some <laughs> that are really kind of whacked out. And you're like, really? Uh, and if you have no clue what I'm saying, seriously, look at Leviticus, and you'll come to one of those commands that you go, really? They had to write that in there? It's in the Bible, so read it. So Jesus kind of looked at him and said, okay, well, you're the expert, you're smart. Which ones? What must you do? You know the law. And I think without even thinking, this expert quickly came down, and this is what he said. He said, you must love the Lord your God with all your heart and with all your soul and with your, all your strength and with all your mind. And love your neighbor as yourself. And Jesus just replied, right. You got it. That's it. Way to go. You see, there's two laws that he was reciting. The first one was love the Lord your God with all your heart, mind, soul, and strength. It's found in Deuteronomy chapter 6, verse 5. The second one, the love your neighbor one, is found in Leviticus 19.18. And actually in Matthew chapter 22... Jesus actually said that all the 613 commandments, all those laws, all fell underneath these two categories. Love God and love people. All of them are there. They all come down to doing that. And Jesus said, you got it right on. That's it. And then this expert, I love this, because this is what you and I do all the time. He goes, oh, great, love God. I could do that but who's my neighbor? Because you can't mean that I'm supposed to love all people. Nah. So he wanted to start defining what neighbor means. You and I do that all the time with the Bible, don't we? We're going to get honest. I figured this is week two of me being here, so uh, here we go. Ready? God says, pray without ceasing. But what do we say in our minds? I'm starting easy, by the way. We'll get to a couple difficult ones. What do we say? Well, yeah, I get that. We're supposed to pray all the time. But I have to sleep. I have to eat. I have to work out. I have to go to work. I got to hang out with my friends. I got to. So he can't mean pray all the time because I can't pray sleeping. And our mind goes to, so how much prayer fits that? Is it three minutes, 
five minutes, an hour, right? The Bible says, don't be a glutton. I love that one because most preachers, they don't like to talk about that. Gluttony is consuming too much, eating too much. So we think, well, what does it mean to be a glutton? Is it the entire pizza? Right? We'd probably all say, yeah, if you sat down one sitting ate a large pizza yourself, that's probably gluttonyville. What about half the pizza? What about three slices? For some of you, you would say one slice of pizza is horrible for you. Don't eat it at all. But we ask, right? How much can I consume and still not be a glutton? Because that's a sin. Oh, here's a fun one. The Bible talks about sexual immorality. And guess what we think? How much can I do? Can I see? Can I touch? And what is sex really is? Yeah, I'm there. And guess what we do? We want that to find more so we know how close up to the line can we come without stepping over? What can we do without sinning? How much can we push and shove that line but not go over the line? And guess what he was asking? Same question. Who really is my neighbor? Because in his mind, he knew it couldn't be everyone. It it could have been his psychotic mother-in-law. God doesn't mean to love her. Some of you are laughing because you have one. Right? Right? It, it can't mean my business partner that took me for millions of dollars and left me in financial ruin. You can't mean him. So who's my neighbor? So Jesus tells a story. A Jewish man was traveling on the trip from Jerusalem to Jericho, and he was attacked by bandits. They stripped him of his clothes, beat him up, and left him half dead beside the road. And I always laugh, and this is just getting inside my mind, which I'm not sure is a great thing or not to share this thought with you, but I'm going to go with it. that, That whole thought of him being half dead, naked, every time I read the story, you know what I think of? You know that movie, uh, Mighty Python, Holy Grail? You know that moment where they're bringing out the dead? If I had a British accent, I would, I don't. But you're right, bring out the dead. I'm not dead yet. Yes, you are, right? That's what I think of every time I read this story. I have that going in my mind. So I just had to share. So this road from from Jerusalem to Jericho was a 17-mile road. And it was a pretty treacherous road, both because the landscape, it was was hilly and mountainous and sharp edges and cliffs, But also, bandits would always hide out there, and they would look for people traveling by themselves. And so you never wanted to travel by yourself. So this man, traveling by himself, uh, is beaten up, robbed, left there. By chance, a priest came along, but when he saw the man lying there, he crossed to the other side of the road and passed him by. A temple assistant walked over to him, looked at him lying there, but he also passed on the other side. Okay, Two men, two men of God, two men that were experts of the Torah, knew the laws, knew what God wanted from them, those guys just passed right on by him. Didn't give him a second look, a second chance, a second thought. Then a despised Samaritan came along, and when he saw the man, he felt compassion for him. Now, 
Again, you have to understand the tension between Samaritans and Jews. Jews hated Samaritans. I mean, probably hates uh, not even a, a strong enough word. They literally considered a Samaritan lower than a dog, a half-breed, right? The racial tension between both groups was that intense. And this Samaritan comes walking by and looks over and sees a Jewish man. And it says he felt compassion. And you see, that's the first step of love. Is love has a feeling to it, doesn't it? Like the first time you ever met that girl, that guy, and the, the butterflies in your stomach, and you're like, oh, we're in love, right? Right? And then you get married, and you realize that sometimes those butterflies go away, right? You have those great moments where they're there, and then you have those other moments where you're trying to squash the butterflies. You just don't want them around. You realize that, that marriage is a commitment, and it's difficult. Love, there's a feeling there. And the Samaritan man felt compassion. The question to you is, when you're around the unlovable, how do you feel for them? Do you even have a feeling? Because this priest and this Levite, temple assistant, didn't even have a feeling of love, of compassion for this man. They didn't even give it a second thought. I wonder how many Samaritans would have walked by this, this Jewish man and instead of feeling compassion, would want to just kick him in the head, spit on him, laugh at him. But he felt compassion. Then he went over to him. There's this action move. He just didn't feel that way and walked by saying, oh, man. That's horrible. And kept walking. He stopped. The Samaritan soothed his wounds with his own olive oil and with his own wine and with his own bandages, he bandaged them. Then he put the man on his own donkey and took him to an inn where he took care of him himself. He didn't pay someone to take care of him. He took his time, his resources, his money, and cared for him. And the next day, he handed the the innkeeper two silver coins, telling him, take care of this man. If his bills runs higher than this, I'll pay you the next time I'm here. He took it the extra mile and said, whatever he needs, I will care for him. And Jesus asked, which of these three would you say was a neighbor to the man who was attacked by bandits? And the man replied, the one who showed him mercy. And Jesus said, yes, now go and do the same. Do you know that this expert in the law couldn't even address in his answer to Jesus, he couldn't even say the word Samaritan. You catch that? He he, he couldn't even use the word. 
what Jesus was saying was, you want eternal life. And you say you love God. Then you will love all people. Even the most despised person that you can think of, you will love. See, the word love in this entire passage in the Greek is a verb. It's an action word. It's that you're going to show your love by doing. And Jesus paints this picture, this story, and said, you know what? You will show your love to God by how you live out your life. Probably one of the most famous verses ever in the Bible, and if you've probably ever memorized a verse, this is probably one of the verses you've memorized. It's John 3.16. All right, you go to football games, you see that guy or that person with a big cardboard sign, you're holding it up. And John 3.16 simply says, For God so loved the world that he, what? Gave his only son. That everyone everyone. Who's everyone? You. Me. Your psychotic mother-in-law. The business partner that left you in financial ruin. That everyone who believes shall not perish but have eternal life. You see, God said, I will love you so much that my love won't, won't just be a feeling, just be an emotion, just be one of those warm and fuzzy things but I will send my son to die on a cross for you. For you, for me, so that everyone who believes will have eternal life. And I want to be part of a church that accepts everyone. Why? Because it's God's command. It's God's law. It's God's bar that he has set up for us that we shall be a church that loves everyone. We will accept everyone. And so many churches don't. And I want to be an everyone type of church. And that means it's going to be a messy church. Why? Because you and I, right? We're all messy. And we all bring our mess in here. And so this week, two simple challenges again. Last week was turn up your devotion dial a notch and pray for one person. Keep doing that. This week is this. Is your love for God, is it all just feeling? All just emotion? Or are you living out your love for God? Is there action with it? Which leads to the second part. Who's that Samaritan in your life? We all have them, if not one, a list that you need to show love to, that you need to show love to. Maybe it's someone that has hurt you deeply. Maybe it's that, that person that just cuts you off on the highway. 
St. Francis of Assisi said these words, preach the gospel, and if necessary, use words. I asked a question during the interviewing process, and I understood the mission and vision of this church and what this church was trying to accomplish. But I wanted to get more, you know, kind of underneath it. And I, I don't remember how I exactly phrased this question, but I basically just said, you know, but what else would you like to see happen because Renaissance is in this community? What, what would be those outcomes? You know, granted, we want people to, to know God and love God and give their lives to God and accept Christ as their Lord and Savior. I get that. What else? And this person, she said to me, she goes, you know what? I can see the day that because a renaissance is in this community and making such a huge impact, that people are just nicer. Think about that. Because people understand that's about loving God, but loving all people, the whosoevers, the everyones. And that this church makes that type of impact, that this community It's just nicer because we love deeper. Let me pray. Lord, I thank you for today. And Lord, I just pray that we'll be that whosoever church, that everyone church, that church that accepts all people no matter what. And that, Lord, we will roll out of this place and put our love into action, that our love for you will be in motion, and that, Lord, our love for all people, even the the unlovables in our lives, that we will love them. Why? Because you have called us to love in that way. In your name I pray. Amen. God bless. Have an amazing week.